I've been getting more and more into mixology lately. Did you get like a book for Christmas or something? Not exactly. I got a cocktail shaker and a nice bottle of gin. And it just started out with like making a gin and tonic, but using like nicer fruit in it instead of just lime. And once I made like two or three of those, I actually remembered that I got the shaker. I had actually totally forgot that I got the shaker. It just sat on my shelf for six months. And I was like, I should try like bashing up these berries or I should try making this. So now I'm driving everybody crazy because I'm making all these different drinks one a night. Like I'm not going crazy. Right? Yeah, no, no, no. but you got to experiment yeah. now, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I'm making like, you know, drinks that use like rosemary syrup in them and that kind of thing. It's been it's been weird, but fun. It's it's kind of crazy. Like I, I feel like I'm on the end of the hobby train. Like while everybody else was making sourdough bread, I didn't jump on. But now <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that's that a good one to hobby. hop on to. And when you do inevitably come by, I'll make you something special. Yeah, sounds good. I will hold you All to right. that. Nice. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 289 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of the matinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Dear listener, we live in times where being able to adapt is paramount. At the best of times, life has a way of turning on a dime. And these are hardly the best of times. As a creature of habit, rolling with the tide and course correcting along the way is not exactly my default setting. No, I like my routines. I like to plan. I like to make a list, cross things off. But that's just not the way things go anymore. Things cannot be done. A plan seems perfect, and then a plan gets scrapped. This is our lives now, which is why we need to rely on each other that much more. And if you're me, and you're lucky enough to have a few people that you always can rely on, it works out pretty well. Case in point, my guest today. He's a man who has been all over the place. POV, That Shelf, The Changing Reels podcast, Frameline, but he's always been there for me. And today he's here with us on the show. He's a Toronto neighbor, a man I've been friends with for more than 10 years now. Courtney Small is here. How are you, Courtney Small? Hello, I'm doing well. It's, it's always weird when you say 10 years. Like, it's, like it hasn't been that long, but time it, it has. flies, man. We have we've all been friends with each other for a long, long time. I mean, we, we kind of lost two, but it's not like the clock stopped ticking. Yeah, that's, but, a, but, that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, no, we are we are getting older and we've all known each other for quite some time. It's it's kind of incredible. On episode 289, we are going to be discussing Cha-Cha Real Smooth. We're going to be flipping the record over to play the other side. First, we need to learn more about Courtney. This is Know Your Enemy. first appeared on episode 75 that was the 2012 year's end episode see right there like it's 2022 you were on the year-end episode of 2012 and it wasn't like i just met you five minutes before and said come do a show although i've been known to do that um on that show we learned that the first film he ever saw in a theater was the animated transformers movie the last movie he's seen at the time was Django unchained the worst film he'd ever seen was firewall the unseen classics are essential were birth of a nation and the passion of joan of arc courtney small have you seen the passion of joan of arc you know i um, signed up for the criterion channel like a few months ago so it's in uh-huh. my queue to watch buddy, buddy we've been locked down for two and a half years 
and I didn't have Criterion Channel until this year. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll we'll see how it goes next time. The film he wish he made is Hannah and her sisters. Courtney returned on episode 128. We discussed inherent vice. We learned the film he digs that nobody else does is Too Fast, Too Furious. Film everybody else likes that he does not is Paths of Glory. The last film to make him cry was Dear Zachary. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Stephen James, and the movies, plural, he was watching next were either The Imitation Game or Birdman, whichever caught his fancy first. Courtney returned on episode 204. We talked about Sorry to Bother You. We learned the film that made his love of cinema turn a corner is Farewell, My Concubine. His first date movie was Charlie's Angels. The sick day movie that he reaches for is The Nice Guys. The last film to leave him speechless was something called What Will People Say?, his film Epitaph would be The Good Book Says We May Be Through with the Past, but the Past Ain't Through with Us. That's from Magnolia. On episode 228, Courtney and I talked about the farewell. We learned the film he really digs but never wants to see again is something called Farming. The last film to genuinely freak him out is Carrie. The film that always makes him laugh is old school. His favorite movie soundtrack is Magnolia, and the movie he loves but seemingly nobody else has heard of is something called Flirting. Finally, in the middle of this pandemic, Courtney returned to talk about the trial of the Chicago 7 on episode 245. On that episode, we learned that when Courtney goes to the cinema, he likes to sit close to the screen. If he could go on a date with any movie character, he would choose Monica Wright from Love and Basketball. After she leaves college, that was very clearly laid out. The dirtiest film he's ever seen is Pink Flamingos. His favorite black and white movie is Double Indemnity. And a movie he likes, but nobody would expect him to like, is Spy. So it is time, sir, for round six. This is what happens when you are my friend for 10 years. You get past the five-timers club and you start getting into the, the realm where the questions take a bit more thought. Do I get like an oh. SNL kind of jacket? I'm going to get buttons made. I really okay, I, 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 there's, there's a bunch of you that I really need to send something for how long you've been keeping my shenanigans going. You know, so b- besides gratitude. Courtney Small at home or in the theater. What is your movie snack of choice? I am an old school. I go popcorn. Straight up bag of popcorn. You get a drink? So Yeah, I usually get like a either a Coke Zero or vitamin water. <laughs> That's kind of all over the map. I like that. We Since we've been going back to the cinema, I can probably still count the number of times I've gone over the last year. I actually got a Facebook memory this week that I had returned to cinemas a year ago this week oh, to oh, okay. see, yeah, to see um, Quiet Place 2, I think was my first one back. I, I haven't been getting back into snacking. Well, that's the one thing I've been hesitant to do is, is to take the mask off and snack or drink. But when I smell that popcorn, I'm I'm so tempted. Well, what I do, I'm, I'm still wearing the mask in the theaters. Yeah. So I do the quick pull down, throw the popcorn in my mouth, put the mask up, and then chew mm. while it's on. It's probably... I, I'm, not, I'm not sure by, I agree with your police work there, Lou, but... Um. Yeah, but in, in my mind, I'm like, it's still better than having it off uh, yes. Com- yes. completely, right? So Yeah, I, I do appreciate the effort. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the, obviously that answer's come up quite a bit. There's a there's a bunch of people who have enjoyed the popcorn. Um, you know, the, uh, Mariah Gates uh, talked about getting it with powdered yeast. Uh, I'm, you know what, you, like when you mentioned like without the, without the liquid gold on top the one thing i used to notice is if i ever got the extra topping i couldn't finish it Mm, okay you know like it's butter flavored anyway so you don't really need it 
But if it, yeah, if they added topping to it, and I love, by the way, that it's called topping now, not popcorn, not not butter. <laughs> um, like, like let's call it what it is. I never, I was never able to finish it. And I find so. like I know some people do like the the butter or topping, but also with like the little shakers, like the the different I, flavored shakers, and it's just too much for me. Like, I, yeah, I figure it's my hands are already salty enough from just yeah. a regular popcorn. Yeah, now you're just now you're just courting a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or same thing. Like uh, I one time tried throwing in the candy, like I, I got like glossette chocolates or something okay. like that, and I tried like mixing them in because I saw it in a show or something like that. That was nice, but that again just one turned into a mess, and two the chocolate all kind of like fell its way down to the bottom of the bag. Yeah. So I don't entirely understand the attraction. I, I obviously understand the attraction of popcorn, but not with the candy. All right, uh, Courtney Small, what is a movie world you would like to spend a day in? See, this was a tough one. Um, I ultimately went with um, Millennium Actress because the idea of being in an animated movie, right. I thought was cool. Kind of like the old like Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. But also, yeah. that film travels through cinema in so many different periods that you get to experience so many different worlds at Tell once. Tell people about that movie because, I mean, I've seen it, but I feel like that's not one of the first ones that comes to mind when people talk about anime. Tell people what that movie's about. So it's uh, by a filmmaker, um, Satoshi Khan, who died relatively young. I think he made about four films and a couple of animated series in Japan. All his work is great. But again, it's one of those artists that just died too soon. Yeah. And this film is played out kind of like a documentary where you have these two filmmakers that they seek out this um, great actress and she's recounting the story of her life, how she got into acting, the different roles, the, um, the jealousy that came in. Uh, but at its heart, it's actually a love story. You know, it's this woman who is pining for this love that she had a brief encounter with and spends most of her life trying to reconnect with that love. And as she's telling the story, the world that these um, filmmakers are you know they basically get sucked into her world, her memories, if you will. So you have these guys still themselves, all of a sudden they're in like samurai gear hmm. and trying to navigate that world. And they're just jumping to the different um, places. It's, it's a really beautiful film. It's mm-hmm. a film that if you love film, you should see because it's a love letter right. to cinema, but it's also just a love letter to love and you know realizing that sometimes the things that you're pining for isn't quite necessarily what you need but sometimes the chase is still worth worth it see this this answer interests me also um satoshi khan is the gentleman he came up before he came up recently um andrew robinson used him for one of his answers i think he used him for the answer of which um artist would you bring back from the dead and why and i think he said satoshi khan i could be wrong so check the show notes and i'll confirm i'll nail down exactly what andrew was saying about satoshi khan um i know him more from paprika uh just because that movie is one of those ones that's just etched deep into my brain for how imaginative it is millennium actress i seem to remember it being very much as uh imaginative if maybe not quite as weird mm-hmm. it's it's i'd say if you're diving in that's probably the most straightforward one mm-hmm. to to watch uh, i don't know if it's as highly regarded as paprika no or um i think he did perfect blue as well yes. and i know tokyo godfathers which is on netflix 
right now for those who hmm. have uh, Netflix. That's that's probably even more accessible. But there's just something about Millennium Actress that I absolutely love. I just think it's so a, you get it's a perfect to film. traverse a movie loving world that also happens to be an animated world. Yeah, I and like I mean, it. one of the flaws of being film lovers, as you know, is that we love movies about movies. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes we get sucked into that vortex of liking things that aren't quite necessarily good, but you know, it's about movie making. Whereas this it, is, it checks more of the boxes. Yeah. Yeah. This one's actually good and it's, it's got a lot of heart and it's just, mm-hmm. and the animation is just fantastic. I like it. All right. And, and thank you for reminding me. It's been, it's been far too long since I watched that movie. So I'm going to have to catch up with it again. Uh, Courtney small, what is your favorite good scene in a bad movie? Ah, see, I had to, I tend to push out bad movies from my brain because um, that's As how do I we all. maintain my love of cinema. Yeah. And I know this will be a contentious one by many, but I'm going to say the freeway chase scene and the Matrix Reloaded. I cannot remember anything about two except for that great chase scene. Thinking back on it, because I, ha- I did revisit the whole trilogy ahead of the fourth one last year. It still seems like they draw they they threw all of the effects um goodness at the second one and then by the time they got to the third they just run out of ideas. Yeah. Like the third is very much a video game whereas the second one is this kind of bigger version of number 1 which is not necessarily good. Okay, so you're mentioning the highway chase scene. I see your highway chase and I raise you what the scene they called the burly brawl, which was Neo fighting with the few dozen Agent Smiths in that. Oh, like, yeah. Okay. See, see, there's more. But, but, it, but yeah. I still think no? the, the highway is better. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because, I mean, it was an actual highway chase. Like they, they filmed that on an actual highway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They yeah. use as much practical effects in that as, yeah. as possible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you're but you're not a fan of like anything else in that movie. No, and again, it's been years since I I've watched it. Um, but didn't you watch it in the run up to the new one? No, you just went on memory. I went on memory from what happened in the first one, vague snippets from two and three, and I just went straight to okay. the fourth one. And, and I think part of the problem with two and three is they had the same issue that Southland Tales had, where it wasn't just that they were coming out with the two movies. There was also the animatrix that you had to watch. There was also oh, a right. video game. There was comics. Like there was all these things that were supposed to tie in, you know, to the story. And then you realize, well, they didn't really add much to it anyway. And you should be able to go into any work yeah. on its own and just yeah. not have to do all this additional research and, you know, crack all yeah. these different hidden codes. So I felt like they put so much effort into creating this world around it that the actual product itself Okay. Got got lost, but I know a, a lot of cha- people. But a good chase is a good chase. A good chase is a good chase. Okay. All right. I'll allow it. Courtney Small, what is the most violent movie you've ever seen? I look at violence two ways. There's the realistic kind of horrific violence, and then there's like the John Wick insane, you know, bullets flying everywhere violence. So yeah. I went with again off of memory, um, Itchy the Killer the um, Takashi Miike film where you have a, <laughs> the violence is meant to be cartoonish even. Cause I mean, I guess it's based off of a, a manga series if I remember correctly, <laughs> but there are so many squeamish scenes in that film 
that I understand the brand of humor that they were going for, but it, you know, it's a chore to, to get through. Like it gets to the point where even I'm like, okay, wow, that was, that was gross. <laughs> oh, oh man, that was gross. Like, you know, and I don't normally say that <laughs> in, in movies, but I, I respect the craft and how they pulled off some of it. But like when you have a guy literally hanging by his skin and then they're pouring like hot water on him and people <sighs> getting sliced up and stuff, even if it's done like with, you know, a cool knife and boot kind of thing, it's still like, a, it's a really, really violent movie. I, mean, I take it you have not seen it. No, <laughs> I have not. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to keep it that way. Um, Takashi Miike, I mean, that is, that's usually a, uh, that's kind of a warning call right there. That, that, mm. that, 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 that is a man who uh, is, is really out there to make you uncomfortable. Um, you know, of course, this is the man who did Audition. Um, which is which is a movie that is in several ways terrifying. Um, I saw one of his films at TIFF a few years ago. A few years ago, 2014, I saw one of his films at TIFF called Over Your Dead Body, um, which was both really beautiful and really disturbing. Like you bring up an interesting point because on the one hand, there is an art to creating this. It's it's entirely fake. The fact that it makes us feel um, as uncomfortable and as grossed out and and afraid as we do, in its own way, it's kind of a, a miracle of craft, you know? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, to what end? You know, is it just to get – if it is just to get a visceral reaction, the same way that, you know, film will make people cry or make people laugh or, or affect people that way, then sure – but I mean, I, I don't understand. Um, there are people who could explain this to me because there are people who this is their jam. And I'm sure they could might be able to explain the psychology. I've never understood the psychological draw of witnessing violence on screen. I was actually talking about this with my sister-in-law um, a few weeks ago because she was talking about like some of the really disturbing movies that she's seen, like stuff like Martyrs. That to her is what is scary. That is what she wants to see. And my, I actually asked her, I was like, why do you want to see that? That does not sound enjoyable to me. Um, unfortunately, I cannot remember her answer. I think it was just something to the effect of, well, I think it's cool. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's kind of why I ask is a lot of these ones, like you say, there are the ones that are realistic and traumatizing, you know, like the ones that depict real world violence. Uh, I mean, for for the longest time, I couldn't watch the the curb stomp scene in American History X. Oh, you don't yeah. see anything, but my brain was filling in blanks, yep. and I'm like, I can't watch that, you know, because I know that that's something that happens. Um, this kind of thing, it's crazy because you're right; it's 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 almost cartoony, but it's cartoony in such a way that it seems real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. I think of like um, something like Irreversible, where mm-hmm there's like, you know, two really violent graphic moments in that, that you're like, you're almost like, I don't want to see that film again, but it's at least surrounded by stories and characters that kind of justify what happens. And, you know, and in many ways, because you feel for the characters, it makes the violence even more disturbing. Mm -hmm. Whereas something like it's you, the killer, or I was even thinking of like, 
the last Rambo they did, the or I think it was the last one, the 2008 one. Um, I think it was just called Rambo, wasn't it? Rambo, yeah. And in that one, you think, okay, it's going to be kind of cartoony violence. And at, at times it is, but then there's just so much of it that it gets almost excessive. Like there's, I, I vividly remember a scene in that Rambo movie where to show just how bad this evil army is, they literally rip a, a young child from a, I think it was a mother or father's arm and throw the child into the fire. Right. It's like, you didn't really need to do that to justify uh, how bad they were because we were seeing all of that. But like, yeah, it, when it went to that point, I'm like, oh, okay. And then Rambo's like killing just, I think the body count alone is, is one of the highest in, wow. in, a, in a blockbuster film, but it got to the point where it's like, okay, this isn't really like entertaining violence. Now this is just kind of gross over, over the yeah. top violence. Right. So I guess to each their own martyrs is one that you mentioned. And then I think I actually have a copy of martyrs that I still have not watched. <laughs> it's, I mean, I could probably do a whole show on this. It's, it's, it's an interesting subject. I'm always interested to what constitutes violence to who um that's mm-hmm. why i ask but it's 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 an interesting question like why it's in our films i like don't get me wrong i don't think it I, i'm not saying that violence should not be in films we live in a violent world you know to, so to, to say that it should not be depicted whether it's realistic or whether it's hyper realistic i'm not saying that what i'm saying is sometimes i wonder to what end um, and that's and, and along with that, I wonder like what is violent to who. So very good answer. I, I like it. Uh, last but not least, for now, Courtney Small, what is a movie monologue that if you could, you would like to deliver? Um, I was going to go with one for Magnolia, but then as you were reciting the previous <laughs> answers, I realized I answered Magnolia a lot. So I'm actually going to go with one that I used to be able to recite um, hmm. off the top of my head, but I can no longer do it from memory. But it's the Hooper X speech at the opening of Chasing Amy. So when they're at the convention and Hooper X is uh, promoting his comic book, uh, which I believe I'm not going to name the title, but it's please, this, but please name the title. I, I love I, that. If title I remember so it correctly, I think it was White Hating Coon was the, the, yep. the comic, and yep. you know it's supposed to be like this new black revolutionary character, and he goes on this whole spiel about how. Um, black characters have been marginalized in comics for for decades and they had to you know notif- basically announce that the character is black or their ethnicity and then it ties into Star Wars and goes on this whole tirade about how Star Wars is one big story about gentrification and how Dark Vader is actually the hero and not Luke Skywalker. It's a brilliant um, scene and, and Dwight Ewell, the way how he his deliverance, like I, I wish that he was in more films. Um, yeah. he's all, he seems to be kind of stuck in that really indie circuit um mm-hmm. but it's it's just a wonderful moment i used to be able like from u- university up until oh, yeah. maybe a decade ago i was able to recite that thing but i haven't um watched the movie in a little bit so and, and because of the pandemic my brain is just mush for remembering little things like that now i was you know i've, I've been thinking about that movie a bit recently because we're about to get another kevin smith movie Mm-hmm. And I feel like Kevin Smith got stuck in stasis. Um, you know, he tried to do some different things and it wasn't really re- well received. So he kept just kind of, you know, returning back to what was safe and what was easy. And I mean, he, it made him money. So why not? But I, I, I always wish that he had have left those five movies, those first five viewers universe movies alone 
and started doing other things because I, I liked the way that they they worked together. That chasing Amy was probably his best one. And what I always love about that speech, and it is a great speech. I'll, I'll leave a, I'll find a, I'll find a clip of it and leave it in the show notes if people don't know it. Is what really sends that speech over the top. And you're right. He nails like every beat, every inflection. It's so funny. It's like he takes what, what Smith wrote and makes it funnier, you know, in, in, in his delivery. But the cherry on top of the Sunday is Jason Lee heckling him from the middle of the audience. Yep. yep. You know, before the whole speech comes to a sudden conclusion, which ends with him yelling out, but isn't that true? <laughs> <laughs> Where everybody tends to lose it. Ah, oh, that's a great one. I love that answer. I've not thought about that speech in a hot minute. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's, um, it's a it's a great movie. And I, I will say, I feel Kevin Smith has, I mean, part of it is the films he's made, but I think part of it's also our, our fan culture when it comes to movies, sure. because a lot of us love the VSQ universe. And then when he left to do other things like Tusk and it was branching out into horror immediately like trashed those things. And you know, there were some good ideas in those films that he made. It just wasn't, perfect but like i feel we give i don't know rob zombie can go make an indie horror film and get far more respect rob zombie can make a a slapstick comedy version of the monsters and people are already hailing it and it's like you know we give certain filmmakers leeway to branch out and other ones we kind of put back in a box and i know smith again keeps going back to the same well because it's making a lot of money but i i kind of wish we'd get more chasing amy's i know jersey girl was I liked and Jersey Girl. It wasn't that yeah. bad. Oh, yeah. It wasn't that bad. Jersey Girl. Like that, that, was, that was a movie. I mean, it, you know, it, it's flawed and everything, but that was a movie that was much more mature when you're looking at things like death and parenthood and you're not necessarily making dick and fart jokes over and over. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that was it. it was, I, I saw in Smith like glimmers of more talent, even when he failed. Like I didn't like Red State, but I'm like, at least you tried something, man. Like, like thank I, you for Yeah, trying. I like that one though, but yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, the yeah. ending gets a little weird. Oh, but yeah. I, oh that's I, yeah, that's, yeah. I, I like the build up to that. Gotcha. All right, there we go. That's more about Courtney. We'll learn more of when he inevitably turns up for a seventh episode because we've known each other for 10 years and he comes on often. Um, we have a film to talk about, though. Um, we are going to go, we're going on demand this episode. So if you want to catch up with this and you are not the kind of person who goes out to the theater, um, you can actually just go onto your device and find this. It's uh, pretty easy to find these days. We are going to talk about Cha Cha Real Smooth. It's the new slang right after this. this time right foot two stumps left foot two stumps slide to the left slide to the right crisscross crisscross cha-cha real smooth cha-cha real smooth is written and directed by cooper rafe it stars rafe dakota johnson vanessa burghart evan asante leslie mann brad garrett and raul castillo Cha-Cha Real Smooth is about Andrew, a recent college grad who, like many college grads, hasn't quite figured out what the next step is yet. He's living back with his parents, he's making money at a fast food stand, he's stressing about his girlfriend living on the other end of the world, typical stuff. When Andrew takes his kid brother to a bat mitzvah, 
two life-changing events occur almost at the same time. First, it turns out that Andrew is pretty good at engaging partygoers and getting the place lively, so an impromptu career as a party DJ begins. Second, Andrew meets one of his brother's classmates, an autistic girl named Lola, and her mother Domino, and he kind of falls for both. Life in their orbit is beautiful, sweet, and sometimes tense as Andrew shares fond moments with both, but nobody seems entirely sure on where any of it is going. Cha-Cha Real Smooth premiered at this year's Sundance Film Festival, where it won the Audience Award, and this sort of notoriety puts the film into some interesting company. You see, dear listeners, film festivals are funny things. They are sort of a terrarium of curation and groupthink that sometimes introduces us to stunning works of art and sometimes has us fawning over something shiny. What I'm saying is that for every Whiplash, Blair Witch Project, or Little Miss Sunshine, there seems to be five or six tadpoles in the soups or happy Texas's pop quiz hotshot. Which camp do you think Cha-Cha Real Smooth belongs in? Is it something stunning that is worth considering in the harsh light of day? Or is it the Emperor's New Clothes that was revered by way of festival goggles? I'm thinking <laughs> back to Tadpole. And I was like, oh, I forgot about Tadpole. Yeah. I, You're um, not the only one. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind Tadpole, but yes. Um, I think this goes in the latter category. I had difficulty with cha-cha real smooth both times that i've watched it now um because when i saw it at sundance it was the last film that i saw and it had already gotten all the the big raves and the the audience award what have you and i remember watching it going i must be tired because of the week of movies that i this film feels a lot longer (laughs) than the time is and it's you know i liked it but it wasn't anything to write home about watching it again i realized i wasn't tired it's just the pacing of this film is kind of off for me and there's a lot of great parts of it that i like yeah but i still do not understand the the love for for this film yeah i think that's a i think that's a fair way to put it like i don't you know like when we talk about this movie what what i think we're going to do is we're going to start with what doesn't work and then we'll move on to what works because i want to end on a on a positive note um but when i you know when i dig into a movie like this i don't like to come out with venom because i'm still happy this movie exists you know i'd rather come out with venom for something like a something like a matrix movie or something like a you know a big studio production i'd rather throw venom at top gun if if i was going to do it than throw you know throw shade at something like this that probably cost like top gun's catering budget um, you know, I, that's, that's just the way I'm wired, but that said, like, as much as I don't want to shred it, um, I didn't understand the hype, the buzz. Um, it's, it's fine, but th- I think that's the thing is it's just fine. It's not, it's not what I would call an incredible story. It's certainly not incredible filmmaking. Um, and I think you need to have one of those two things. It's either got to be a story that's good enough to become a an expo for your technique, whatever it is, whether it's like a, okay, the story's not all that great, but they did it all in one take. So watch, you know, that kind of thing. Or the story's not that great, but check out the the aerial photography that they got that looks like some, nothing you've never done. 
that's not what's happening. And the store and, and, and you know, it's, it's none of that. So I didn't understand the love. It was, it was just fine. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if it's something with Sundance in particular. I know all film festivals have it, but I, I feel like people, maybe because it's the beginning of the year, you've, you've come through the, the winter breaks. <laughs> There's been nothing but big budget films that people are craving something new and fresh. Yeah, and and Sundance offers that, but it was it was not even in like my top ten for for Sundance. Sundance? Looking looking back at this, like there was just so many better films, and I think my problem with this film is that by all accounts, it plays it rather safe. Yes, it's it's a competent film. Um, Rafe Hat. I think it's competent in terms of like he has he has talent. Okay. Um, there's 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 some really great moments um, that I that I quite enjoyed, and yes. I think as a filmmaker, he's competent enough. Like he he can you could give him a big budget or small budget, and he would make a reasonable film. I wonder though if and again I haven't seen his previous film, but I wonder if it's because he was able to make this at such a young age that we are hype or we're showering him with a whole lot more praise as if he's the next in line to be the next great filmmaker. Cause I find in cinema, we don't really praise the people who spent 20 years trying to get their first film off the ground, but we love those young. Yeah. So you have Josh Trank who does Chronicle, you know, young guy really for that time, inventive film for what he does immediately people are heralding his, the next big thing. Yeah. He gets a big studio film, Fantastic Four. It doesn't do quite well. There was talk of him doing Star Wars, all of this off of that one film. And then he ends up doing, I think it was like the Capone film with Tom yeah. Hardy that did nothing. Of, yeah, did nothing. But there's all that praise. And I feel that Rafe is kind of getting that type of push. Um, and I don't know. Again, I think it's, it's, it's more the, the culture and also the festival people wanted light and happy maybe after the p- pandemic but it's it's fine it's but i don't know I, I i do not understand why people are are so enamored with this film it's strange like you bring up something interesting in that you know when when a filmmaker makes their debut feature at a young age um, because you're right. Like we are and long have been really, really anxious to anoint the next member of the club. You know, like we really want to slip that jacket onto them and say, you know, you're going to, you're going to go on to great things. But the funny thing is when I think about it, like let's one, of, okay. Two of the biggest names with fanboys in the culture right now, are Christopher Nolan and Denny Villeneuve. Denny Villeneuve had to work in Canada for well over a decade before he started breaking through with fanboys with stuff like Arrival. Um, you know, to say nothing of the fact that Arrival wasn't even his first American feature. Uh, Nolan, you know, he did Following, which didn't do much. He did Memento, which people loved, but still didn't do much. Um you know, insomnia made no bank. It wasn't until like he started doing Batman movies that he really became a brand. 
And yet, when it comes to people, you're right. When it comes to people like Trevorrow and Trank and now this gent, it's like we're we want them to be one of the ones. And I'm like, can we just slow this down just five minutes? Because as we said, like, you know, there there is nothing groundbreaking about the filmmaking technique. There's nothing really groundbreaking about the story here. So why? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's 25. Um, but this feels to me more like um, your experience with short films, where you will see a short film that a director creates that they then get a budget and they turn into a feature, right? Like I'm thinking of a movie like um, Hala as a, for instance, yep, yep. where you watch that first one and you see a kernel of something that could make a really good longer story if they had the time and money. But of course, because they're starting, they don't, that's not what this is. You know what I mean? Like th- this is not something where I think it made a really good short film and they turned it into a feature and the feature turned out great. This feels like the short film that needs some polish that needs a producer. Um, you know, that that needed just a little bit more time for the ingredients to come together. Rafe is the director and the writer and probably a producer too. Yep, he's a producer too. Um, I, I, I kind of wonder with that, like what would have happened if he had have written it and starred in it and given it to another director or if he had a, had a producer who was really guiding it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it is definitely a, a showcase for him and and his talents like i think he does a decent job in the acting as i said i think it's you know decently made i i don't have too many issues with how he put it together i think a lot of my problems with this film comes with the i would say the lack of character development for a lot of the characters so- this is what really really got me is mm-hmm. the story for me like there's there's good things and i promise people we will get to them yes yes um, but what gets me is we are we have reached this point of the great equalization of um tools you know like we were talking about like like one of the ones i mentioned was like in the soup or earlier on we mentioned kevin smith and the earlier movies that he made they all look rough they're working with like shitty stock they're working with whatever cameras they can get now you can get a really really handsome looking film with a canon camera and a bunch of memory cards like you are bound just by your story and the crew you can assemble and this still felt choppy in its uh, in its in its editing it felt flat in its um it just all over i'm like for everything that is available now there is a surprising just mundanity of technique mm-hmm. i think that was what, what was really holding me back is everything else i can make allowances for a lot of the you know shortcomings of the story felt like somebody who was not a film school grad, but like it's like in their second year. Okay, I could see that. I yeah. could see that. For me, I don't think it was the the editing um, or look that was the problem. For me, it was I understand the struggle of what it is like to come out of university. You know, you're living at home. You don't have a job. You don't have it. It's a universal story. Sure, sure. But at the same time. You know, remembering way back when, when I was in that state <laughs> or whatnot, Andrew has it fairly good for most yeah. of this movie, and yeah. he and even his misgivings are are well intentioned. But because of his, you could say, narrow sight because of inexperience, what have you, but he makes 
certain characters around him evil, but we don't really get any real sense of that. So he he doesn't like his stepdad. And even his brother's like, yeah, the stepdad's a pain. But we don't get enough scenes with the stepdad to actually get that. Yeah, They tell us that he's good with the mom. And later on, we, we kind of see that moment where they come, they make amends. But th- I don't know enough about the stepdad. The yeah. Domino's uh, fiance is presented as this kind of brooding, menacing guy that when he shows up, you're supposed to be like, oh, damn, I, I, oh, no, it's gonna, something's going to happen. And it's like, no, he's, the man's just an adult. <laughs> yeah. He's an adult who realizes that he is dealing with an immature individual. Like, but we don't get enough of any of those moments. So I felt like he's kind of floundering through life, but in a way that is actually not going to impact him whatsoever. Yeah. There's no, his great fall is she kissed me and she's basically saying, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. That's his great, you know, his great um, hardship in life is that he falls hard for women, gets into these relationships and then doesn't quite know how to deal with it. That's really, you know, there's that's some a lot people, of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of that's us. That's a unique experience. Yeah. And I'm like, some, some people go through all of university, come out, have no, um, prospects have never even experienced relationships at that point, you know, or are really having to like work to live. Like they can't just go, Hey mom, dad, I'm boring your car. Like, yeah. you know, there's so many different facets. And I feel like we've seen this type of story from so many filmmakers before about these young men that are just, woe is me. Mm-hmm. And their life's really not as bad as they're making it out to seem. Both within the film and just the approach to this story, he's not recognizing his privilege, right? Like there, there are a mm. lot of people who come out of school. There's a lot of people who don't finish school. There's a lot of people who come out of school and just broke as a joke and don't have a floor to crash on or a car to borrow, you know, or somebody to cook them dinner. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who meet people who they think are interesting, but who don't give them the time of day because of a lot of reasons the, the, you know, the, 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 the Andrew in this story, he, he comes out of school, you know, yeah, he's got a shitty job and he doesn't know what he's going to do next, but he's got a pretty soft landing before we move into some of the positives of this movie. And there are some, I promise. The one last thing that I want to mention is both you and I over recent years have gone to um, lengths to, um, watch film that better embody representation um, in all sorts of, of facets. In my um, journey to watch more films that are directed by women, one of the things I've said is be, a film that is directed by a woman is not necessarily better or worse than a film de- directed by a man. Like that, that is not the point. The point is I see things that I don't normally see, or I see them from a perspective that I'm not used to, and I can't always articulate it, but I know it when I see it. This is the reverse. This is a film where there are several moments where I'm like, I can absolutely tell that this was directed by a dude because what is happening right now is really important and really emotionally resonant, but it's not being captured from the point of view or in an empathetic way to the woman that it is happening to. And I don't know if that jumped out at you. There's a one moment that really screams out that if anybody watches this movie, they'll probably know what we're talking about. 
um, that is that is you know something really really affecting for all involved. But it just seems like it is captured in a way that I'm like, this is not your reality. Yes, and and I would go further in you know saying as a as a black person, I this is kind of what we've been saying for for decades because I can watch films that are about the black experience and I can tell you instantly if it's made by a white director or a, a black director. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and because there's certain beats, there's certain things, uh, certain approaches where you go, clearly this is a white director. I don't even have to see the name. Like I may not yeah. I'll be at a festival. Don't know who the director is. And I'm just watching this film and I'll be like, white uh white person directed this right because you can tell right and yes there are there's there's a lot of times where you watch something and and this is a a good example where there's moments in this film where i was thinking the parts that i really like would have been delved into a lot further if it was a female Mm -hmm. director because Mm -hmm. the problems that andrew is facing are not really significant enough in the grand scheme of things and the characters that the the scenes that i love the best all involve the female characters yes in in this in this film he is good in the scene because of the actress that he is working with at that particular moment yeah those nuggets are far more interesting in watching him grow and evolve you know sort out life than it is him getting drunk at one of the hosting gigs or just being irresponsible for the sake of being irresponsible. I mean, you've got a side gig again. It's not a great thing, but you're making a lot of money doing this as a side gig. Yeah. You're getting, you're constantly getting referrals because that whole, um, bar mitzvah circuit, (laughs) you know, in the community is a major thing, right? So you got to think he's doing a whole bunch of these over the course of whatever the summer or several months. And they're constantly referring, all right, you got to do the next one. Because it's all the same people. It's the same money passing hands. It's a good side gig to at least put money in your pocket. Yeah. But he acts as if, oh, my goodness, you know, I don't even want to acknowledge that I do this. I'm thinking, but you work at a meat stick place. Like (laughs) I I would be like, yeah, I do this on the side. It's a side gig, DJ, whatever. There's ways that you can spin it. When he is doing all of that and just being a buffoon because of quote unquote youth and inexperience, the movie was not interesting for me. No. What I loved were the scenes with him and Lola. Yeah. When they are interacting, not even when he's trying to protect her or whatnot, but when he is just talking to her like a human being. Mm-hmm. She's a, 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 a child with, who has, um, who's autistic, but when they interact, it is just Andrew and Lola. There are, mm-hmm. there are scenes when he is talking to Domino just on like basic human things that they go through. You know, the struggles of of being in love with someone or being married to someone and then having them leave and having mm-hmm. to deal with that. Those those moments are interesting. Those are the moments that I that I think back to when I reflect on this film. But yeah. Yeah, um, and thank you for finally like taking us out of the darkness and into the light. Because oh, there's always light. There's always oh light. yeah, <laughs> that is where this movie works. Um, Lola is a revelation in this movie. This is her first. I, I think it's her first acting gig. Yeah, I think so. 
you know, as far as like TV and film goes ever, I, I believe this is her only IMDb credit. Um, Vanessa Burghardt is her name. Um, she is wonderful. She's not asked to play things up. She's just asked to basically be herself. Um, it's, in, you know, back to what we were saying about representation. It's important um, to have an actor like this portraying a character like this because it gets away from the kinds of things that you would see in, uh, you know, in extremely loud and incredibly close or as a grown up, something like I am Sam, like we are going to get to a point where we're going to look at a lot of these movies where a non autistic character played an autistic character. And we're going to ask ourselves, why was that a thing? Mm-hmm. You, you know, so seeing this and, and going better into her world, like how a room affects her, right? Whether it's a, whether it's a classroom, whether it's a, her, her own house, whether it's certainly when it, whether it's those parties, cause you really get the idea real quick that those parties are a lot for her, yep. you know? And I mean, even what I loved in this movie, uh, and I, I love that the movie takes the time to bring it up is Lola says, being social in any way really drains me. Like it really takes a lot out of me. Even if it's just one person, I prefer to sit in a room alone with myself. And that's the thing is like, Andrew, he's trying to put himself aside for a minute. Like he's trying to, he's certainly trying to get into Domino's good books by cozying up to his daughter. Like it does not take much to Mm -hmm. figure that out. But at the same time, like you can see there's some sort of, um protective instinct in him that he's like here's a girl who needs just like another grown-up in the room and i think i can be okay with this and and be that person and by and large he is he's actually really good with her but what i like is that the film says takes a second to say hey even though i can play scrabble with you and kick your ass and even though i can play cards with you and kick your ass and have these conversations that are actually seeming like they're quite natural where a lot of people can't it actually takes a lot out of me to do this for your benefit Mm -hmm. and i also like that in those moments again he's focusing on her he doesn't use them to get details on like what domino might like right uh, in a lot of those films the the child is often used to get information so that he can get further into good books with the mother. And, yeah, yeah. and I will say I did like Dakota Johnson in this. Yeah. I thought she was really just a little longer. Yeah. It was uh, really good. But when in relation to how the film functions, when it's around Lola, it is such a captivating and warm film, but not in a overly sentimental kind of way. Like it, I feel like he, he mined that nugget of truth in mm-hmm. those moments, whenever they had to do something with Lola, whether, even if it was like one of those conventional, Oh, she's being picked on by some of the boys. It's still handled in a way that felt authentic. Like I felt like he spent most of his time on the script, really making sure he got that right and got that authentic. And then the rest of the film, he just kind of did the, don't worry, I got this. I'm a guy. I can jot the rest of of it off. And I kind of wish that the film had that level of care throughout. We, we also have Dakota Johnson as Domino, uh, who her career has been really interesting because it seemed like she was going to be one thing 
when she first kind of broke out, like she did a lot of these smaller little bit parts. I think she's got like, she's got like, you know, like one scene in the social network as a, for instance, but lately we've seen her start to look for other roles and, and more mature roles and more complex roles. You know, I think we're both coming down on the side that this is not a good movie. This is an interesting part in this movie at the very least, because this woman has a lot of complexity to her. Um, she had her daughter young. Her daughter is autistic. Um, you know, she's on her second serious relationship since her daughter came along. It's a relationship where the guy is not always around. And not exactly clicking, you know, completely. Like not every tongue fits in groove um, in this really good way that we see them sometimes like in the in the kitchen talking and saying a lot without saying anything johnson is playing more of these parts like we did a show earlier this year with her role in um the lost daughter um you know oh the, the, yes, yeah yes. you know where she's fantastic in that mm-hmm, she is and she, she is really good in this with what she's given to do um she's kind of it's, it's crazy she's very quickly become an actor who she's in a film and i'm interested Huge fame based off of a blockbuster film series. Um, I still haven't seen the Fifty Shades series. Uh, I'm good. I'm good not seeing it. it. I'll get to it at some point. Every every day I don't watch that on demand, I consider it a win. (laughs) But she, you you know, people thought she was going to go a particular way. And Mm -hmm. she's slowly been, as you said, carving out these interesting roles, these films that actually have a lot of substance to them, where it's it's the point where I'm actually – happy to see her on screen like i even liked her in the the high note as as fluffy as that movie yeah. is it's it's a fun little summer movie and i think she is quite good here doesn't have a lot to do in terms of dialogue but she gives off a lot of emotion just to the body language the gesture she she moves from kind of flirtatious to cautious with a lot of ease and i think it it works well for this film she enhances a lot of the scenes that she's in with with Andrew, um, yeah, with Ray's character. It's there's something about that dynamic where again, him on his own is not strong enough. His character is not that deep. Whereas no. when you're put with these um, individuals, these women that have real substance because life has thrown them that way, uh, it, it makes things far more interesting. There's more layers to her you know Mm -hmm. the relationship with her fiance seems disjointed because we're getting it from andrew's point of view the times when you see them together you know at the bar mitzvahs i never got the sense that he was a jerk to her he was a bad guy or anything andrew treats the guy almost instantly like he's a pain um but i never got that there was a, a huge disconnect i got that there was He's away a lot. Yeah. And that could put the strain on a relationship. But when they were together, I never got the sense that, oh, she's with a jerk. She needs to be with Andrew. The the other interesting thing about this movie is the way it handles and the way it introduces Joseph, the fiance. So here's a guy. I think like he like he walks into this movie and you're like, this is this is an alpha. This is this is this is like a prototypical, you know typical man and what i got about him real fast is this guy is smart you know this is guy like 
this is not a guy like I don't think like, he's necessarily like smarter than anybody in the room, but he's smart enough to recognize what is happening in front of his face, and he is understandably wary about the whole thing. You know, mm-hmm. here's a guy I don't know who's hanging out with my wife and my daughter and my stepdaughter, and I have you know I have no idea why he's doing it besides the obvious. So he's not going to welcome him into his house and set him a table and offer him a ride home Mm -hmm. and on and on and on. He's approaching it with a certain degree of reservation, which as a person who is, you know, invested in his family, the house that he's trying to build, you know, he's not handling it great, but it's also understandable. Um, What's interesting to me about him though, is that we get that other side of him late you know, we we get this incident that happens at one of these bar mitzvahs or bat mitzvahs, and Joseph sees really and truly how much David cares about his wife and his daughter. And even if he's still not really cool with it, because again, the the intention is clear. Yeah. At the very least, he can be an adult. You know, and he can say thank you and he can acknowledge and he can, you know, he can put aside his machismo for a minute and be a grown up. And that's, I think, one of the things that I think this movie does well is that even if it doesn't necessarily have the female gaze where it should, um, its approach to masculinity is very much where I want it to be. In a lot of it. And, you know, like not necessarily when Andrew is, you know, got his mind wrapped up in his ex-girlfriend or this classmate that he's hitting it with occasionally. But when Andrew is talking with his brother, when certainly when he's talking to Lola and later on when he's talking to Joseph, I feel like like this is kind of an example of how guys should talk. And I and I think it's interesting that there's parallels between Joseph and the stepdad, Greg, yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And I would even argue there's parallels between his mother and Domino, you know, yeah. women who were both in previous relationships that didn't work out. They've had kids they had to deal with. And then they get this new guy in who, by all accounts, um, Andrew doesn't like for whatever reason. But you realize that both Greg and Joseph are smart, well-meaning men because they're mature. They realize yeah. that you can't go around falling in love with everyone. Like, you know, you have to be responsible. You have to protect and care for your family. That's all you have. Yeah. And it's watching Andrew get to that point, to that realization, is kind of maddening at points. Because when he gives that speech to his mother, you know, um, and kind of basically saying you did a great job through through all the ups and downs you know i never told you but you were great it feels kind of hollow because we never get enough with the mother at that point Mm -hmm. we see him from a young age basically telling the mother how it's going to be yeah get in the car i'm going to talk to this much older lady because i'm i have a crush on her kind of thing and even i'm going to barcelona you know, just deal with it. And then you get to the end where he's saying, oh, you know, I love you. You're great. And it felt hollow because we never got those scenes with like the up and down or the the conflict. 
And again, yeah. everything from Andrew's point perspective is the world doesn't understand me, but we never see him actually making an effort to understand the world around him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's maddening sometimes this film. <laughs> and, I, and again, I don't know. I didn't see um, Ray's first film. Um, I think it's called Shit House. That has the apparently it, it tackles a lot of similar themes that people say was done even better. And again, it sounds like it was also done on like a, a much smaller budget than this. So maybe he's working through ideas. Maybe he is as he's in his mid twenties now is starting to look at masculinity a different way because as we get older, our views change. You know the and a lot of the problematic views of masculinity that we were brought up with, you start to realize, oh, wait, that's completely out of whack of what life really is and, and, and should be. Mm-hmm. So I want to believe that Joseph and Greg are what he is striving to become. Yeah. I yeah. just don't feel we get enough of either Joseph or Greg to no. to believe that that is the direction he, he's going to go. Yeah, I, I, yeah. There's, there's, there's a better movie in here. Like, it's, it's not, yes. it's not, it's not a terrible movie. It's fine. I mean, that, that's the best thing I can say about it is that it's fine. But I, there, there are, there are pieces that fit in a better way. Like, if this, if you know, if this was a mosaic or there's, this was a stained glass window, there's a better way for the light to hit these pieces and turn it into something more beautiful than the way these pieces have been assembled um, by this director. Um, you know, we could we could be here for a while talking about this movie. It's weird because you know, when we talked about this before the podcast, we we're like, do we have enough to talk about? Apparently, yeah. we do. <laughs> um, but we end every matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Courtney Small, um, cha cha, real smooth. What is something you would take from this movie? Um, I think I would take the Scrabble scene. Yeah. Uh, there's a sweetness to that scene, especially when he's trying to be the jokey hamming it up kind of guy lola is such a direct individual that she just tells it like it is and keeps on playing but in a way that the interaction is is really charming and it reminds me of the little great moments in this film that i wish there was more of i see i mean the funny thing about that movie about that scene too is when that scene came up i turned to Lindsay and i said that's why we don't play scrabble because not only do I lose playing Lindsay at Scrabble, but I get schooled. Like playing Scrabble with my wife, it's a game that's over in two turns. Um, yeah. it, it, it's seriously, it's like a JV basketball player trying to play one on one against LeBron. It's not even close. That, that scene rang true for me for sure. Um, my souvenir from this uh, film is I actually do want to go to one of Andrew's parties. I got to admit, like. The guy gets everybody out on the dance floor. He finds a way to make everybody, you know, like even if you can't dance, he'll play that song that you can kind of dance to, or he'll teach you and he'll get everybody like the, the, the guy. He's yep. got talent, you know, for, for being an MC. It's not bad. looks like a fun time. I mean, especially we've all been locked in um, for, for a long time. I, this seems like a lot of fun. Um, we rate here on the matinee cast. I'm almost afraid to do this. We rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one, four stars. Um, Courtney small. Why don't you take us there? Out of four, I'm going to give it a solid two, two. Okay. I'm in the same. Yeah. I can't recommend this movie. It's got interesting things. It's almost two hours. It's not worth two hours. It'd probably make a really good, 
90 minute movie. Um, yes. You know, there, there's a better movie. There's certainly a much better movie in here, whether it's 90 minutes or, or an hour and 50, like this movie is, there's a better story to be told. Um, I do want him to keep telling stories. I'm not ready to anoint him into the club just yet, but I do want him to keep telling stories and maybe just collaborate a little bit more, you know, either write for somebody else or get somebody to write for you and work with a producer that can really bring your best work out of you. But this is not it yet. Um, Hey, maybe you're one of the people who loved, loved, loved this movie. Maybe you hate it. Maybe you think it's hot garbage. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca Twitter, where I am matinee underscore CA or facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Cha Cha Real Smooth? We are going to take a very quick break and come back right after this. We're going to flip the record over and play the other side. Um, So come on back. got the kind of name by the way that i almost always say first and last i think that like i just said courtney and that does not feel weird you, like you, you are courtney small that it's hey, that that's is, all right you're right up there in my in my orbit it's like sasha james i never just say sasha i always say sasha james yeah you okay. gotta say sasha james yeah. you can't courtney, just... courtney small you know well i'm honored um, to be on that level it's with sasha you, yeah you know it you're you're kind of like you're the opposite of Prince, you know, like, like Prince, you just need to say Prince, but you, it, it, you need the whole thing and not because it's Courtney who it's, it's Courtney who there's a difference. Um, he's Courtney small. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's Matt Nacast, 289 full of digressions. Welcome to the show. Um, we've been talking about Cha Cha Real Smooth. Um, this is the other side. It's the point in the show where we go further down the spiral and recommend some other reading. In this case, I think we're going to talk about better movies. Um, Courtney, you've got three movies to talk about. So why don't you get us started? Pick one of your films that you think somebody could go on to after Cha-Cha Real Smooth and potentially have a better time. So a lot of my, I'll just say right now, all my picks um, fit the dynamic of younger men and older women. So there's, I'm going to go. The most obvious one, of course, is The Graduate. Yeah, a, a far better film, um, a slightly different dynamic in terms of the the relationship for for many for many reasons. Uh, but it's it's still one of the archetypes that I feel like a lot of these young filmmakers are are still kind of aiming towards when they're making these these type of films. That is a film that boomers revere you know anybody who is of the age in 67 they talk about Mm -hmm. that movie in hushed tones and the first time i saw it i was like "Eh, i guess all right you know i was was a kid the more i go back to it the more i go back to it the more i go back to it that movie is incredible that is a movie where the filmmaking is deceptively good in terms of its capture, in terms of its cutting, um, in terms of the emotion that it makes you feel, like it's now a film that I love. Uh, if that, if if I like, if I'm looking around on demand and that's one of my options, or if I'm flipping channels and that just happens to be on, I will handily lose an hour watching that movie. Um, and and you know, it, it's got it's kind of got a similar thing. It's got like you say, it's it's got a uh, a protagonist who's very much drifting, often quite literally. Um, not knowing what he wants to do. Um, you know, he's, he's not, 
quite as entitled as the character in um, Cha Cha Real Smooth, but he is still very well off. So there is a lot of privilege there, but he just kind of keeps messing things up in his wake, you know, and 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 not able to to really understand what he's doing with his life right up until the very end. Like, that's the thing. I, I don't think I ever really appreciated the end of that movie uh, up until very recently. Yeah, because it gets it gets parodied so much. And yeah. I mean, and I can see there, there's there are aspects of the graduate that you you go in the hands of another director this could have been like farcical comedy or just a complete mess but that ending is actually really beautiful especially when mm-hmm. they're on the bus and you're like you don't know like there's no guarantee that things will work out yeah you know they're going off a of basic love and hope right yeah. and yeah. wherever the bus takes them it's such a interesting way to, to end the film watching cha-cha real smooth i was like i could really do just rather watch the graduate again mm-hmm. um well you know we talked off the top of the conversation of chacha real smooth about um sundance darlings and you know whether sometimes it's the thin utah air that's that's doing it to people or or whether or not it is things that hold up um one of the ones from recent years which we did a full episode about on this show and i'll link to it in the show notes if people want to go back and listen is from 2018 so just four years ago um i went back to hearts beat loud do you remember that movie oh that's a great movie yeah i yeah. got no love but no it, love it was at a all. great great movie yeah came and went and did no damage and nobody was talking about it like i mean you saw it and i saw it with starring nick offerman kiersey clemens ted danson um tony collette doing you know her wonderful tony collette thing Sasha Lane, uh, who people may know from um, American Honey. She was just in Loki for a hot minute. Um, if people haven't seen this movie, it's a beautiful, just very, very simple movie um, about a father and a daughter. He runs a record store. It's not doing well. They muck about playing music and they decide to start, start a band. Um, but it's about... I mean, one, again, it's a Sundance Darling. It's one of these movies that went there, played well, people dug it there, and then it just got released into the summer and, you know, was overtaken by Avengers and Minions and all of the normal fare. Um, but it, it's it's a movie that I, I actually was happy to find out about because of all the Sundance love. I wish they had found a better release. Like, I... On one hand, I hate that a lot of the, I don't know, prestige or thought-provoking films get held back to the fall for quote-unquote mm-hmm. award season. I, I feel like you should be able to release something anytime and have, you know, people still remember it, get recognition. Having said that, releasing this film in, or that film in the summer was not a good idea. No, um, That is one where I'm like, put it in the fall where people want to be indoors. They want, you know, if they're, if they're going to see a movie in the summer off, a lot of people go to see the big blockbusters, you know, you're going yeah. to be brave the heat to go see whatever superhero film, but in the fall is perfect time for a nice story. Have people feel good, great characters, great music. Um, but yeah, I, I wish that film had gotten a lot more love. I mean, or put it in the spring like this. If you this thing had have arrived in April or May, like this thing dropped at the beginning of June, this thing dropped 
really like i don't one of those things i happen to remember like it dropped like four weeks after an avengers movie it dropped two Mm -hmm. weeks after um you know memorial day down in the states that's not the place for this kind of movie to say nothing of the fact that like it wasn't really marketed to people who are not us um and and it's interesting too because while it is another guy telling a story that is not strictly about a guy it is handled with a certain degree of care now it's certainly still not you know told from the pov but it's told with just like a little bit more care where the scenes you know between frank and his daughter sam are are really well handled sam is really really crushing on one of her um uh, you know, like a girl who she meets, they are handled really, really well. So, you know, they, again, it's it's not their lived in experience, but they're handled better than they were in Cha Cha Real Smooth. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. You got more. What other movie do you have that uh, goes along with Cha Cha? Um, I'm going to go with The Good Girl, the uh, Jennifer Aniston vehicle from, I, I want to say, uh, 2002. Yeah. So, um, and. Again, you have the older woman, younger man dynamic. But I, what I liked about The Good Girl is Jennifer Aniston is playing a discount store clerk. You know, she is not a a glamorous woman by any means. She is in a marriage that she's not happy with. And she's she's floundering almost mm-hmm. more so than um, the Holden Caulfield that's played by Jake Gyllenhaal and it's, it's an interesting dynamic because often when you get that kind of um was it May December relationship right usually the older one is the one that is kind of got it far more together than the the younger one and it was nice to see a film where an older woman is kind of floundering and working her way through stuff which you don't often get in these type of films another Sundance movie this is a, you know what it's weird this is a movie that i feel like has been lost in the shuffle over time i mean it's 20 years old now again thanks for that um <laughs> it, you know uh written by mike white who you know he's doing some interesting things right now because he just did the oh white, the white lotus, the lotus? yeah yeah yes. you know his it's 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 fun like he's kind of on the rise he also did um that TV show enlightened with Laura Dern a little while ago. Like he's, he's an interesting writer um, that, that was able to write this story, even though it's obviously not his experience. Um, Aniston showing us something different than Rachel green. Like this was like just towards the end of like the friends era. She was playing, like she was basically playing Jennifer Aniston over and over. So watching her play this more, you know, middle America, you know, not that well off, like you said, kind of a made a few, let's say interesting choices along the way. I don't even want to say bad choices. She made choices along yeah. the way. This movie was well received. It didn't linger, but um, it's, it's, it's been a minute since I thought about this movie, but you're right. It, it this feels like again, it should have been in the nineties. Like it feels yeah. like this was a film that sh- it came out a little too late. Like this, if it come out in the nineties, more people would be heard. I mean, it's again, it's not a, a great movie, but I thought it was really interesting. Like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that work in, in this yeah. film. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great choice. And, and again, this does, this does what we, what we're seeing in Cha Cha Real Smooth 
better. It's got a great cast too, because Aniston is in it. John C. Riley plays her husband. Jake Gyllenhaal is the, you know, stand-in for Holden Caulfield. Tim Blake Nelson's in this movie. Zoe Deschanel's in this movie. Oh, Tim Blake Nelson in this movie. I, this is all coming back to me now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember him in this movie. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie's this movie's great. Yeah, oh, it's got a great cast. Takes a second or two, but it all just comes, <laughs> comes creeping back there. Love it. Oh yeah, good call. Love it. Um, well, my uh, second other side from 2006, uh, directed by Todd Fields, who is most known for doing In the Bedroom. Um, do you remember a movie called Little Children? Yes, I do. With uh, I do, yes. Kate Winslet and Patrick Wilson. Jennifer Connelly is also in this movie. Jackie Earl Haley also in this movie. Um, I wanted another film about a married woman having an affair. Um, you know, cause, cause I like the treated almost like trashy romance novels. Um, but the, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that, that happens in the world and you know, it's, it doesn't necessarily happen to bad people, but it's just, it's the kind of thing that happens and how it is treated and how people get there, I think is really, really interesting to see on film. And, this is one of those movies where you're looking at two people who are both married and who are both in their relationships. And I mean, they look like Patrick Wilson and Kate Winslet, so that doesn't hurt. But they're both in these situations where they just haven't been looked at in that way. And this movie does an amazing job of making both of them look absolutely incredible. And you kind of wonder, like, why aren't their partners looking at them this way? But it's 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 a really interesting film about... Um, you know, people straying outside of their marriages and why, you know, because that's not really explored in cha-cha real smooth. We get some real surface talk in this movie. And I mean, we get some, also we get some very, very strange action in this movie. Like there is one Mm. one in this movie where um, Domino makes a move and both Lindsay and I watching this were like, wait, she's like, sitting on his lap now but wasn't she just yeah yeah Yeah. um you know this this movie handles a lot of that a little bit better it doesn't hurt that it came from a book um my last thing about little children the one thing that i'll always remember is this is another movie that i saw at tiff i saw it at tiff in 2006 and i got to the top of the escalator at the varsity where this was playing and the volunteer said are you here for little children and i was like i'm just here to watch a movie (laughs) yeah. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Do you remember this movie? Like another oh, movie? I, just... I, there was a period where from, I guess, 2001 to maybe 2007, where I was Todd Field's stand. I, I still yeah. am. But the problem was he hasn't made another movie since. Apparently he has a new one that's in post-production with really? Kate Blanchett. Okay. So, but I loved in the bedroom. I saw that at TIFF. I saw. I didn't. I couldn't get into little children at TIFF, so I saw it afterwards. But I loved that as well. Uh, seeing him in Eyes Wide Shut, I was like, "When are you going to make? Uh, you know, another? I guess why Eyes Wide Shut came before. But in yeah. terms of like rewatching Eyes Wide Shut, seeing him, I'm like, when are you making another movie? So yeah, I I really enjoyed Little Children. I think I think there's a particular aspect of Little Children that was tough to sell to the yeah. general audiences but oh, yeah. it's a it's a good movie yeah it is um if people don't know who todd field is uh like courtney just said he is the piano player in uh, eyes wide shut he is also one of the storm chasers in twister which i swear to god 
must have the most talented cast ever um, for for a stupid blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he is one of the storm chasers. Like, I mean, it's funny because the storm chasers. Like every few years, you look at it like. Oh, they went on to do things. Oh, they went on to do things. Oh, like, I mean, it's just like, like more and more and more of them. You're like, how did they get this many people together in one stupid little movie about chasing tornadoes? Now, was um, that a Bruckheimer? Jan DeBont, who, who, I mean, oh, okay. if, if you yeah, can't yeah. get Bruckheimer, okay. you get Jan DeBont. Yeah. Um, Jan DeBont, I should say. Um, yeah, Little Children. I think people, yeah, there, there's something at the core of that movie that is uh, unpleasant. Um, for sure. But I mean, it's, it's part of the story. It's actually, it's actually mm-hmm. a really, really interesting part of the story. Um, and something I think is worth, you know, thought and, and reflection for sure. Um, and I mean, yeah, the movie's really handsome. So if you're, you're, if you, if you could stomach it, um, give it a go. Uh, it, that, that is a movie where craft is off the hook. Like Todd field knows his way around a camera for sure. Oh yeah. All right. You got one more for us. Take us home. Yeah. So I'm going to, um, end off with, I guess going back to a point that you made earlier in terms of how you were saying that cha-cha real smooth doesn't really expand on anything from like a narrative standpoint and stylistically it's um, kind of bland. So my last film is a film that it's dripping with style. And I think the style is part of its selling point. The characters are, you know, amusing, despicable, what have you, but it's Wes Anderson's Rushmore. If you think back of when like Rushmore came out, one of the things that grabbed people was just the the style in it, the look of it, the set design, the character costumes. This is a film where you can take a rather simple story about a young boy and an older boy fighting for the same woman, um, which has been told time and time again, but make it in a way that's fascinating to watch. You know, the characters aren't necessarily likable. No. Um, you know, the the object of their desire is actually the most interesting person in the film. Mm-hmm. But Rushmore ha- has a charm um, to it, partly because the characters are unlikable. And as I said, the, the look of it, the, you know, the prep school elitism, the, the money that's floated everywhere is just fascinating to, to observe. I mean, you know, here's a movie that is so stylish that it just launched copycat after copycat after copycat, mm-hmm. including its own director. Its own its own director <laughs> has just never been able to get out of that stylish box. Um, I say that as a fan. Here's another guy, right? Like he came along and he created this and this came after both versions of bottle rocket. He, he would have been just under 30. He would have been he, like, he would have been like 28, 29 when he made this movie. So he was still pretty. And again, this is, the, this is not his first kick at the can. Like the um, bottle rocket came before this. Um, this though is bottle rocket um, fully realized. Bottle yeah. rocket is good. Um, and, and very funny. And, and, you know, like really, really silly when it, when it comes down to it. Rushmore is all of those things plus execution. So like that, that's the thing. Maybe I now don't get me wrong. Cha-Cha Real Smooth is not bottle rocket, but maybe (laughs) in two or three films, he'll get up to his bottle rocket and then maybe we'll see his Rushmore. I think before the French dispatch came out. Okay. um, I went on a Wes Anderson rewatch. And it was just 
excess after excess, and it was kind of glorious, just in terms of the 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 the, the, the attention to detail. And yeah. you have to work with a really trusted team because I'm sure as a producer coming into that world, I would probably be frustrated with, do you really need all that effort for one tiny shot? But yeah. When you see the final product, you're like, okay, I all right, I get it. I, yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. No. When I was when I was in between jobs, because you know I had nothing but time, I went through like watching films in clumps. So I'd watch all the Spider Man mm-hmm. movies together, or watch all the Indiana Jones movies together. There was a stretch where I watched all the Wes Anderson movies together. They're pretty much all on Disney Plus, so they were all like really really handy. And I watched Rushmore for the first time in a little bit. Yeah. Um, you're right. Like again, May December romance. Um, you know, a, a guy with some daddy issues. I mean, it's a great movie. There, there's just, there's no yep. two ways about it. I would much rather somebody spent their time <laughs> with Rushmore than watched Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Um, but thank you for pointing me towards that because I'm probably going to watch it again and The Graduate. Um, maybe I'll even rewatch uh, Matrix Reloaded. Thanks for that suggestion. Too. <laughs> I know you don't want to take credit for it. Hey, teach their own. Teach their own. Exactly. Um, that is episode 289. I am so thankful that uh, Courtney Small was able to come by, um, make good on some plans. This episode was in flux. Um, it's actually going to spill over into the next episode uh, because come on back on Monday, August 8th. August already. Holy shit. Um, for episode 290, we are going to discuss Nope. On that episode, we were hoping to discuss Nope on this episode. Didn't happen, so we're going to do it next time. Um, please come back. Uh, Courtney is is writing in places. Uh, where can people find you writing these days? Thatshelf.com, uh, POV Magazine. I have a piece coming out, I guess, in the print issue, but I sh- I'm going to have a couple of reviews on their website, hopefully by the time this one comes out, or maybe the week of. Um, and I still occasionally do stuff for, for Cinema Access as well. Very nice. And if people want to yeah. follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? You don't tweet quite as much, but where can they find you? I really need to tweet more, but um, I'm at Do what I do mind. and tweet a song in the morning, man. I could, but the thing with Twitter, and, and I'll say this. There's um, one thing? Yeah, well, there's, there's many things with Twitter, but there are times where I will open up. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to tweet something. And then I, I get in that rabbit hole of like, do I really want to tweet this? Yeah. I know what that value. Feeling. What value is it? And then by the time I'm like, the moment in me has passed. It's yeah. no longer so. There's yeah, a reason I why I tweet songs tweet and books, more. man. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not because of, I mean, it's a little bit of compulsion, but it's not just compulsion. Um, but where can people find you? Yeah, they, you can find me at Small Mind. And I am on Twitter a lot. I do read Twitter a lot. I just don't post as much as I can. And um, yeah, you can find most of my stuff there. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Blueberry, Apple. Um, Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. There's other platforms like um, TuneIn, Radio Public, uh, Podchaser. If you have a pod platform of choice and my show is not there, please let me know. I can put it there. It's real easy. Feedback on Cha Cha Real Smooth can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email me, Ryan at matinee.ca. On Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA. Get your songs every morning. And uh, there's always Facebook, facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Mr. Small? No, it was uh, great chatting with you. I'm glad we were able to, to work something out. 
You too. As I'm going through the roster again, and I'm really realizing how long it's been since I've seen a lot of you people. Uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, like I said off the top, like plans are in flux, things change, mm -hmm. you gotta roll with That's it. Right. I'm hoping that I can roll with it enough to like start seeing some of these beautiful faces again and, and catching up and, and you know seeing how everybody's been doing. Um, you know, we just, we need a few more lucky breaks. So thank you for gracing uh, me with your presence again. And hopefully next time it's across the table instead of across a Wi-Fi line. Uh, but there we go. For Courtney Small, I am Ryan McNeil. We'll see you at the matinee.